The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to another adventure of the 108 Podcast. My name is Officer Y, and we have a really great show planned for you guys today. My guest is a sergeant from the Rialto Police Department out of California, Mr. Lamont Corker. We had an absolutely amazing conversation talking about community policing and the role of a supervisor in law enforcement. This has been one of my favorite conversations in this very early stage of this podcast adventure, and you guys are going to love it. Absolutely. Um, I want to get right into the interview because we did go pretty in-depth and it took a little longer than I expected. But real quick, let's talk a bit about community relations. Breaking news to absolutely no one, the public perception of law enforcement is at an all-time low. What we need to do as conscious law enforcement officers is to not put ourselves, our profession, and our departments in a position to look unprofessional, ignorant, or otherwise embarrassing. If someone walks up to you on duty or if they want to say something on your lunch break, take the five seconds and respond positively. It costs us absolutely nothing to be a decent human being. If there's a kid that wants a high five or maybe you have stickers or they want you to chirp your siren, I don't see why that's an issue. Just do it. I'm not saying we have to do these dance challenges or lip sync challenges or even staged photo ops. Authenticity goes a long way. And the community will see it and appreciate it. And there's another thing. Be careful what you do and what you post off-duty. If you want to go out with your buddies and cut up and have a few drinks or let loose at a squad barbecue or a family party, go for it. But we're in a day and age where everything we do is amplified. Probably too much. Actually, definitely too much. If you want to make music and play in a band, or post on TikTok, or just do, you know, videos and be silly, whatever, that's all well and good, that's fine, we don't care, but directly relating it, and connecting it to your career as a police officer, and using your status as a police officer to advance those positions for your own personal growth, is just silly, and borders on the line of immoral, listen, everyone has a side hustle, everyone wants to make money on the side, I get it. All right. Some people mow lawns. Some people are fitness trainers. Some people own businesses. Some people run stupid meme pages. All of it is fine. As long as it doesn't violate a policy in your individual department, that's fine. But just keep in mind that the magnifying glass that we're all under these days, there's no bounds to what the public perceives as wrong for law enforcement. And whether or not we are right or we are wrong perception's reality you know you can use the argument all you want that what you do off duty only matters to you and i'm here to tell you that this day and age it doesn't all right what you do off duty is not is not just for you 100 take that to the bank 
listen, that, that's all I got for right now. But please, stay tuned. We're going to do a quick music break like we always do. And when we come back, we have an amazing chat with Sergeant Lamont Quarker of Rialto Police Department. Check it out. I guess I just don't get your plan. Are you trying to smash my world up? I'm trying to understand. You say you know me, not truly who I am. You stress the modifier while I stress the adjective. All right, we are back, and with me from the Rialto Police Department is Mr. Lamont Quarker. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for coming along. All right, so I guess we're going to start it super, super simple. Uh, where's your story begin? Tell us tell us a little bit about you. Very cool. Well, uh, I am, like you said, with Rialto PD. Um, prior to becoming a police officer, though, I grew up out in Los Angeles, more specifically down in uh, South Central Los Angeles. Um, went to school in LA. Um, originally, the plan was to become a train engineer, believe it or not, but uh, life just has a funny way of taking a certain turns. So I ended up going to one of our local uh, community colleges and I was kind of undecided on my major at the time. So I ended up going to school with a really close friend of mine from high school and he was majoring in criminal justice. And he had kind of decided at some point he was going to be a a deputy sheriff. And uh, me being on the side of my major, uh, he told me to give criminal justice a look. So I did. And one of my assignments was to go on a ride along. So with the sheriff's department uh, where the Community College is located in Los Angeles County. So I ended up going on a ride along with the deputy from LA County. And that was what really sold it for me was going on that ride along with, with this deputy and seeing some of the things that he did every day and seeing how involved in his community he was. He grew up um, in the area that he patrolled and everyone seemed to know him and everyone, uh, he treated everyone with respect and everyone treated him with respect. And that really just kind of put me on the, on the path to where I am today. Very cool. Very cool. So how did you wind up in Rialto? So um, my grandmother actually lived in Rialto uh, many years ago before she passed away. And I kind of talked to her about uh, my plans of going to law enforcement. And just so happened that the Rialto Police Department back in 2001, uh, I was one year out of high school at the time, was hiring for police cadet, which is a position that's designed for kids who are in college, who are uh, looking to explore a law enforcement uh, career. So I got hired on as a cadet, which is, again, just like a part-time position, and I was assigned to the front counter. So I actually did that for a year and left and went to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department as a security officer working. Um, it's like when you go to court, the guy who checks you for weapons, I was that guy. So um, at 
while while working there in LA, I actually met uh, my now wife, um, Desiree, and I talked to her about, yeah, I want to go to police academy. And she had kind of pointed me in the direction certain departments, but I ended up uh, right back at Rialto by reaching out to some of the folks I worked with when I was a cadet and told them I was looking to go in the police academy. And I just, just so happened I called at the right time and uh, was able to get in. So uh, back, it was in 2003, I got on uh, April, 2003, we started the academy and then September, 2003, we were done. So that's how I ended up landing and staying with Rialto all, all these years. That's awesome. That's awesome. You really don't hear a lot of, I don't know, police. I mean, at least here, a lot of police officers staying with one department their whole career. They either jump ship right in the beginning or like halfway through. Um, now for me, I'm, I, I know nothing about California except the big city. So kind of give an idea for everybody listening. Where, where's Rialto on the map? So most people are familiar with like where Los Angeles is at and where San Francisco is at. And some people may even have an idea where Palm Springs is at. Like they just know it's out in the desert. So if you take Los Angeles and Palm Springs and draw a line uh, directly uh, across the horizon, uh, right in the middle is where Rialto is located. So we are about 60 miles east uh, into the more inland away from the ocean from where Los Angeles is at. And if you go about another 60, 70 miles uh, you'll end up in Palm Springs. So we are located in a, what it's called here in Southern California, like the Inland Empire, which kind of is the suburbia where a lot of folks who maybe work in the big cities of like, like Los Angeles actually live because the, the housing is a lot cheaper out here because we're not, you know, in the metropolitan area of Los Angeles. But again, it's only about 60 miles away, but with California traffic, it can be upwards of two hours to drive to LA from Rialto, but it's really uh, not that far if you if you go at the right time. It's about an hour drive from LA. Okay, okay, gotcha. So you kind of touched on this a little bit with that last answer, but can you kind of describe the city and the demographic and the people that you serve in Rialto? Absolutely. So um, our city right now, uh, and, and I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm going to give you a little mix of what the 2010 census has, and but with my own personal experience, just through my own personal uh, dealings with my com- community every day. So um, the last census had us just under 100,000 people, but I'm almost sure when the census is done this year, we're going to be uh, well over that. I, I would, I would guess maybe 120, 130 now, but. Um, as far as our the, the demographics, uh, we are a melting pot. We have, uh, I would still say the majority of our population is uh, Caucasian at this point. Um, that may change once our census comes out, but we also have a very high Hispanic population. Uh, we have a, a large uh, black uh, community, and we even have a few Native Americans actually living in our community. We have um, several um, reservations that are within stone throw of our city so we truly are like i said a melting pot we have a a little bit of everyone mixed in and then even uh from like a social economic standpoint we have um areas of our city that are um, on the lower end of the social social economics uh ladder and then we have homes in our community that are close to a million dollars so we have a little bit of everything uh mixed into our 
area, which is about 32 square miles. Our city at this point is going through um, just this real, real growth. Uh, despite this whole COVID thing that's going on right now, that's kind of brought a lot of things to standstill. But we've, before this hit, we had an area of our city just really explode uh, to where we have all sorts of businesses that have come in and just continue to uh, grow our cities in, in housing, businesses, all type of de- development that, that's going on. The most I've seen in the 17 years I've been, I've been there have probably taken place in the last two or three years. Awesome. Awesome. So a city uh, on the rise, which is definitely a good thing to be a part of for sure. Um, so absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. for sure, for sure. So you're, you kind of described a very eclectic, I think is a good word to say, uh, type of community. You've got different races, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic stands. Um, so what is your department's relationship with the community it serves? Is it, is it mostly open? Is it kind of closed off? What's it like? No, you know, with us, it's a, it's a very open uh, relationship. Our department, um, and I can only, again, just speak from my personal experience, but in my opinion, uh, just compared to some of the uh, things I've seen from the outside looking in at other departments, I think we were um, definitely on the forefront of this community-oriented policing philosophy. Um, we were one of the first departments in our in our region that really dedicated a team of officers to community outreach. Uh, we had a couple of uh, propositions that passed in California a couple years ago that made some um, certain crimes that used to be felonies like drug possession and things like that. Um, it took them down from felonies down to misdemeanors. So folks who would back when I first started traditionally maybe sent off to state prison or something for possession of uh, like methamphetamine, heroin, et cetera. Uh, they are now being charged and released back into the community under like community supervision, like probation or something. So um, our department and, and some other departments in our area recognize uh, this influx of folks that we were going to have in, in our community and realizing that we had to, you know, extend that olive branch to help, get these folks successfully reintegrated into society because again, traditionally it would be something to where they may be sent off to state prison for a couple of years. Now they're in our community still with this, you know, maybe this conviction on the record. Um, So our department developed a a position to where it would uh, bring not only the police department, but all different types of stakeholders to the, to the table to try and help uh, reintegrate those folks uh, back into our community. And then just with dealing with uh, your your regular uh, folks who maybe traditionally don't, uh, you know, maybe need the police or call the police, but still have uh, concerns that need to be addressed, which, you know, traffic, traffic issues or um, nuisance and blight type issues, um, they they needed. We realized that we needed to have uh, a contact unit or someone that's th- that they can reach out to and say, hey, um, I, I think that my my block here at one two three Main Street needs speed bumps because this guy who lives down the street they're always speeding up and down the street. So to have a contact officer or a community officer that they can reach out to, who again may not be able to may not actually have uh, have that resource within the police department to solve the issue, but is able to reach out to different city departments and say, hey, this traditionally really isn't a, a law enforcement issue. However, this is something that is going to affect us because of all these other unintended consequences. So they're able to kind of 
put things into motion. So um, again, early on, we, we established that, that position and uh, we have like most of the departments have um, like monthly or quarterly meetings with our community where it's uh, a representative from the department, usually a Lieutenant who's out, uh, who's assigned to a geographical area or beat. Uh, we call them uh, areas here at our department. Each area has a specific commander assigned to it, which is a lieutenant who uh, folks can come out on a quarterly basis and speak directly with their area commander and voice any and all concerns that they have. And um, it, it helps with accountability once you have someone who is your point person who's responsible for your area. So when things aren't getting done, you know that, okay, Lieutenant X is responsible for my area. I brought my concerns to him and nothing's being addressed. So it really helps uh, us because again, it, it helps hold us accountable when things uh, are going on. Nice. It um, A lot of what you were saying kind of reminds me, especially with the community outreach, with the unit that I work in, very similar. Um, our our unit is kind of going through a little transition now. We still have the community outreach. Um, we now have a direct email with the community that they can email the unit directly and voice their concerns. And, you know, that kind of has plus and minuses for various reasons. But for the most part, for the community relations part of it, uh, it's definitely helpful. Absolutely. Um, another thing I, I thought was interesting that you were saying about the – uh, officers that are assigned to kind of help reintegrate uh, folks back into society without maybe a felony charge or whatever. That's very interesting. Usually it's, you know, the probation officers or anything that uh, is tasked with that over here, at least. And then it's kind of the police's uh, responsibility to see when they reoffend. So that's, that's interesting. That's probably a California spin on, on what we're doing over here. Yeah, I think, um, and, and traditionally that you're absolutely right. We, uh, our probation officers um, would do the best that they could with the resources that they had to help trying to reintegrate their folks. But again, with the uh, passage of some propositions a couple of years ago, it just really uh, put a, a really heavy burden on probation officers here in California to where it would I heard in some cases quadruple their caseload and just realistically there's only so much that one probation officer can do if they have two or 300 people assigned to their caseload. So the um, police departments have really stepped up to help uh, with the, with the reentry of some of these folks to try to ease the burden a little bit on the, the probation officers because we, uh, just like probation officers have the responsibility of not only, you know, checking up on these folks to make sure they're in compliance with the terms of the probation, but at the same time, you know, it's just, we have that obligation to try and help uh, get them some of the resources that they maybe never had access to. Uh, I, I can specifically remember one guy who um, had got arrested for possession of um, cocaine or something, something to that effect. And, uh, by trade, he was a security guard, but going through his court process and all these other things that he had going on, he had like lost his guard card. It like, expired. So just something as simple as um, have an officer help him uh, walk through the process of getting his guard card again. So now he can, he can go out and, and get a job, which is one of the terms and conditions of his probation. Just little things like that to whereas if maybe he didn't have that resource, someone to help guide him through that process. Um, he wouldn't have been 
getting work and you know who, who knows we kind of know where that story goes so um I, I it's i think it's still the same here in in california it's just that because of the the proposition that passed it just really put a, a, a lot of a lot increase the workload of our of our probation officers who i mean they they already had they were already overworked as it is and this just made it just that much worse so the police department's absolutely had to step up to to lend a helping hand yeah for sure um it's very interesting i feel like there's some benefit where that could so in in my area and and with a lot of like coastal cities you know the homeless population and the transient population it's just through the roof and and unfortunately there are a lot of our repeat offenders and i feel like i don't know maybe this is kind of a liberal take on things but you know i'm trying to trying to fix a problem and sometimes rearresting the same guy you're not fixing a problem um so i almost think like if you had someone a community a community liaison can't speak um that could just basically hit the pause button for that guy get him whatever he needs to get him out of that rut so you know you might be onto something. I might have to bring that up to uh, to the East Coast, and we'll see what that happens with. Um, so, kind of going with all that, your your community outreach, your community policing. Um, I noticed not too long ago, probably about a month, maybe less. Um, your department did a virtual ride along with social media, and I, I it caught my attention for a few reasons. But basically, it comes down to this. Um, I think we have a very social media-driven generation, and law enforcement has a heavy presence on it. Instagram, TikTok, all these different outlets. So I do think that a virtual ride-along would benefit um, in a very healthy, non-cringy, non-self-serving kind of way if you can really integrate it with your agency. That would be a good thing. That's a good way of showing people what goes on in a police car and, and during a police day. But... I mean, I never did it because I never wanted to pitch the idea to brass to get it approved. So how did you guys get the virtual ride along started and how has the reception been from your community? So um, we, within the last year and a half, actually just came up with uh, an actual social media team where uh, it's a collateral assignment. I'm not just completely assigned to Instagram all day. It's um, on, on top of my daily patrol duties uh, as a patrol sergeant, one of the things that uh, I have as collaterally is to uh, be a member of the social media team. And there's uh, a total of four of us. So we, uh, when we first formed the team, it kind of kicked around some ideas of how we were going to just enhance our presence on social media. Because, I mean, as you know, there are some departments out there who just, they do a really, really good job of uh, putting themselves out on social media. So, um, the virtual ride along was actually something that I saw another department do, uh, that's not too far from us. And I, I really like the idea that, um, being able to see something as close to the event as possible, um, cause we're not, at least for our department, uh, we're not filming anything live. Um, but I'm usually filming it and posting it within a few minutes of whatever is going on actually happening. So, I saw the other department do it, and I thought of a couple ways that I I, I could improve upon it. Um, so uh, I had pitched it to our police chief um, shortly after we started our social media team, and you know our, our police chief he's been in the game for almost you know forty years, so he's he's one of the guys who's kind of uh, I don't want to say he, he's definitely progressive and forward thinking, but he's still a little gun shy on some of the stuff on so for social media. So 
Um, when I first pitched it to him kind of in the hallway thing, he was kind of like, well, you know, kind of him and Han basically telling me, hey, put something on paper, show me exactly what you're going to do and then bring it back. So that's what I did. Uh, I worked with uh, one of our captains who um, he lateral to us from uh, the sheriff's department. And he was um, he's just a total media relations guy. He did it for uh, our, our our county sheriffs, which is the largest uh as far as ge- geographically, the largest sheriff's department in the world. And he um, did a lot of the media relations for them. So I pitched the idea to him and he helped me polish it up to where he says, okay, well, let's, let's kind of give it a try and see where this goes. So um, being that it was going to be our first one, I wanted to make sure uh, I picked the right officer who is articulate, who can get up there um, and really be uh, and engage with the folks who are following along with us. So uh, I picked uh, Officer Carrillo. Uh, she's one of our newer officers. She's a Marine Corps veteran. And I, I'm just I, I'm so blessed that I was able to, to have that resource because uh, she is one of the main reasons why this thing was so successful because uh, of just how personable she is. So uh, the idea was just to kind of film as many calls for service a- as we could while uh, maintaining the and be mindful of people's privacy. Uh, definitely wasn't going to film anything um, traumatic, such as uh, any type of domestic violence incidents, any uh, crimes against children, any, anything sexual assault, things like that, that um, would, would absolutely be um, too intrusive. Stayed away from stuff like that. But um, the, during our first one, we had some pretty good um, calls, like a, like a DUI driver that had taken out a whole bunch of light poles. And we ended up having a, have a code three response license sirens to the call. And as I was filming that, which we, we decided to do it through Instagram. So we're posting it to our Instagram story. Every clip that I posted, um, just really, really got our uh, engagement up as far as folks asking us questions, more of our followers asking us questions and just making comments on um, the different things that were going on. So that that car accident that we ended up going to, to where this DUI driver took out a bunch of light poles. And as we're rolling to the call, like we pass the light poles that are down on the street and we actually get to the scene where our drunk driver was last seen heading and the officers actually had to take him into custody. So, um, I filmed as much as that as I could and put it out as quickly as I could. And folks were just, I mean, I, I kid you not, we were literally gaining followers as the day was progressing. Uh, I think we, it was like the single uh, growth in followers that we had uh, since we had our, since we began our, our Instagram page. So it was a really positive feedback from our community you're always going to have those naysayers, uh, but that was definitely the very, very small minority of just some of the anti-police uh, crowds that's out there. But for the for the uh, overwhelming majority, it was a very positive uh, reception to where they're asking, "Hey, when are you guys going to do the next one? You guys should do this every week, or how long? You should do this every day, you know, type thing." So. Um, seeing the positive feedback, took it back to our, our command staff who was, who was monitoring along uh, during this whole thing to make sure I didn't go rogue and post something that shouldn't be posted. Uh, I mean, just over what is unwavering support from them. Once uh, they kind of got an idea that say, I'm going to make sure we do this right and um, not violate anyone's uh, privacy or anything like that. So it, it was just, I can't speak enough about it. Just really overwhelmingly positive to where we did one about a month and a half later. And again, 
really great reception to where uh, we again gained more followers and just the engagement was was great. Even even some of the folks who had critical things to say, uh, we did the best we can. We we did the best we could as a team to try and respond back to everyone who sent us a message. So uh, we had a portion on there where it was you know ask Officer Creo or the the next officer I had was Officer Martinez. Ask Officer Martinez a question, and I mean just there was questions on every end of the spectrum from how do I, you know, get started in, in policing? I, I really don't want to be a police officer, but I think I want to be a dispatcher. Um, so just the engagement was just, was great to where it really, really um, gave folks who traditionally may not have been aware or familiar with some of the things that we have to deal with on a daily basis. It really gave them a firsthand look of just, again, just the tip of the iceberg of some of the things we deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, that's great. I think it's really good that you guys do that it's definitely like a, a question you get when you're being hired, like how are you going to engage your community? And everyone always gives the canned responses. Oh, well, I'm not going to drive around with my window up and I'm going to get out and, and play basketball with the kids and everything. But you know, that's, those are canned responses. I feel like things like you described, right? Like we're a very social media generated culture right now. Um, so to put something out like that on social media where the community can in live action, interact and see what's going on because most of the time when the community is interacting with the police it's negative uh it's a traffic stop it's you know they're calling you because something bad's happening this is a kind of neutral uh territory unless of course you're the person being stopped on camera uh where people can actually see what's going on and they can ask questions basically in real time i think that's a really really good idea and i think it's actually a healthy way to quote unquote humanize the badge as opposed to, you know, dancing around in our underwear with a badge on. I don't, I don't think that really is doing the same thing. <laughs> right. And you know, it's, it's so funny you mentioned that. So uh, I'm a fairly new um, sergeant. I, I just promoted uh, less than two years ago. Um, but I, I, one of the things that I instilled and try to instill in everyone that I come into contact with or anyone within my sphere of influence, going back to my days as an FTO to a corporal and now sergeant is that, you know, some of the people that you're going to be contacting, you are contacting them quite possibly on the worst day of their life, be it they're a victim or suspect. Now the, the repeat offenders aside, because I know every community has the repeat offenders who, you know, them by name, they know you by name. Those aren't the folks I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, 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 the lady who, uh, family came home from vacation and now their home has been completely burglarized. Um, in some cases, this is going to be the first time that they are ever having any type of interaction with the police. And again, in some cases it's the, the worst day of their life. So, for us realizing that it's just another call for service, uh, we, we can't respond like it's just another call for service. Uh, we have to treat everyone like we would want our family treated with maybe just a little bit more. And that's the way I, I try to approach that because uh, I, I think that uh, a mix of other things of how we can really get a bad rap in law enforcement to where we come off as callous or just routine where, and, and it, sometimes it can be routine going to that third burglary call of the day. It can get really routine, but we have to be mindful that, you know, especially if this is a person's first time needing the police in their community and now they show up and depending on your attitude, are you making this person feel like everything's going to be okay? Or are you making this person feel like they are, you know, mm -hmm. a bother on your day? So, 
Um, yeah, funny. Glad you glad you mentioned that because again, it's just sometimes we have to we just have to keep that in mind that sometimes the folks that we con- are contacting, be we're arresting them for something or uh, they're the victim. It, it's it quite possibly is the worst day of their life, and we just have to make sure we. Yeah, you you nailed it right on the head. I mean. A lot, of, you know. Once you get past maybe the first six months, this job feels like a job. You know, you, it, I always say because people say, "Whoa, how do you deal with all this stuff?" I was like, going to a dead body call, going to a burglary, going to a shooting. That's just like you know, a waiter taking the next order. Like next, you know, it's it's just another item that we're checking off for the day. But you need to understand that in and of itself, that check mark yeah. on our day. That's you know that one little tally mark in our statistic book it that's a person's entire day you know the person that called us that's their entire day um so yeah they don't care if you are tired they don't care if you're missing lunch they don't care about anything what matters and as it should is how are they going to be serviced correctly in 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 that moment so you actually you made a great point and and I really I'm glad you said that. So you've been a supervisor for not too long now. Um, what kind of supervisory tactics um, do you kind of go about so that way you you know we always I always make a joke when I you know going on with these discussions how supervisors and admins you know they kind of pull away from their guys they always forget where they came from. So what do you do to stay grounded with you know your folks on the streets? How how do they know that you're not one of those guys well i think it's just important like like you mentioned just don't forget where you came from don't forget that you were that guy that slick sleeve officer sitting in the front row um and go and you went through we all go through this transition of uh brand new officer sitting there in the front of the row just happy to be there you want me to walk a beat all day no problem sarge i'm gonna walk that beat because i'm just so happy to have attained this goal, which all of us in law enforcement know how hard it is to get this job. One of the easiest ones to lose, but one of the hardest ones to get. Um, that brand new guy who's sitting up there and just happened to be there. And then we start to get a little a little salty to where we feel like, okay, you know, I got the hang of this. No one can tell me anything. I'm, 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 I've got this. And sometimes you uh, make a mistake here or there and a good supervisor can hopefully help correct your uh, make sure you stay on that right the right path so you don't cut corners um and then you know you get the point to where you get some sort of special assignment and you just continue to grow so i always just keep in the back of my mind um because i'm fortunate enough to the shift that i'm assigned to now i have a guy who is maybe six months off training and then i got a guy who's been an officer just as long as i've been an officer so i have a really mixed bag of everyone assigned to my team so i just realized that um, remembering how I was when I was brand new and some of the uh, apprehensiveness I, I had and some of the knowledge I didn't have, keeping that in mind, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on my newer guy a lot closer than I am my senior guy. Now, that's not to say you I'm like laissez-faire or whatever with my, with my senior guy, because sometimes my senior guys, they need a little bit more supervision depending on what type of day they're having. But I, the, the, the biggest way that I, uh, try to stay grounded is, um, you know, I, ch- I try to read as many books as um, I-, I can. And I think you and I talked about this uh, once about uh, one of the ones that really resonates me w- resonates with me is, you know, extreme ownership where you talk about just uh, as the supervisor of my shift, anything that goes wrong it is 
ultimately it falls on me because I'm the one who's responsible and I have the vicarious liability over everyone on my, on my team. So if one of my guys makes a mistake, I have to own up to that mistake to where, okay, what did maybe I do or didn't do that led to this happening? Now that's not to say that we don't hold our people accountable because that's, that's absolutely, absolutely. We have to. Um, but when I take ownership of things that, that happen, um, it truly starts to spread amongst the, amongst the team members to where when the, like a silly, I don't want to say silly, but I say a complaint comes in to where someone calls and says, Hey, you know, I was sitting at, at a stoplight and your officer blew through a red light for no reason. He didn't put his lights on. I don't know what, what he was doing or where he's going, but I just don't think that was safe driving. So when that complaint comes in, um, and I reach out to my officer and maybe for whatever reason, he didn't have some sort of bona fide reason to blow through that light. Okay. The extreme ownership part of me tells me, okay, well, maybe I, I failed this guy by not making it crystal clear to him. Like, Hey man, you need to practice safe driving habits at all time. But because of the, the level, as far as the expectation that my guys have, they know that because I'm not going to, you know, shirk responsibility off on, off on them that they ultimately take responsibility and accountability for their actions. That when I call them up, say, Hey man, I, I've got a complaint on this, this, that, and the other, they take ownership immediately because of the way I am that, Hey man, I'm going to take ownership of our team's problems, but you've got to take ownership of your individual, you know, mistakes or the case may be. And it, and it seems to, seems to really work. Um, you know, there, there obviously has to be somewhat of a separation as you, you know, continue to go up the ranks but um you know i'm pretty active on 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 social media um and i have a lot of my my team members uh, on social media to where i'm not this this foreign being to these guys to where they you know they know my family they know the things that i'm that i'm into uh, away from work so they know like as far as my core values what's important to me uh, they they realize like hey everything i do and i say uh, i'm doing it being ever so mindful that I have a family I want to get home to. So I want to, you know, protect us safety wise, but also career, career survival, because I care about my family, but ultimately I also care about you and your family too. So taking a little bit from every supervisor that I've had over the last 17 years of things I, I've liked from certain supervisors and things I didn't like, I, I'm ever mindful and just try to um, just, just try to just continue to grow and progress to where, I don't become so disconnected from those uh, that I work with that um, they become you. You become that supervisor that you a avoid like the plague, and that you can't come to if you have an issue or a problem. Um, and then that's how that's how mistakes start to get made. To where if if you're as a supervisor so unapproachable that your troops don't want to come to you, then they're going to go to other people for advice and guidance, and they may not be the best people to go to. So. You just have to, again, just maintain that that balance to where your guys feel like you have a true vested concern in them as a person and not just them as a number. Like, okay, you're you're one of 12 who I have out tonight. It's like, no, I, I, I care about you, you know, John Doe, because you are my, you know, I, you're one of my officers and I, and I care about you and I care about your success and uh, I want to help you reach whatever goals that, that may be. And, mm-hmm. Don't just treat your folks like 
uh, like manpower. Look at them. They're just part of manpower. It's like, no, that's, I, I think that's where you start to get disconnected a little bit. Nope. Uh, you hit every single point. I mean, uh, first off, I just want to kind of plug a book that has nothing to do with either of us. You mentioned it, uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. That's what you were referring to. Um, he's got a couple really good leadership books. So if uh, you're looking to read about leadership, that's definitely it. Um, the, the one point that I really love it, that you brought up, listen, we're in law enforcement. We're grown men, grown women. So we already have this level of respect for every single title and supervisory position. Um, when you get stripes, when you get bars, when you get stars, um, you don't have to start looking down upon your people just because you're in that position. Listen, we're going to respect you anyway. You don't have to take an attitude to uh, kind of break our morale or have us fear you when you walk in the room. I think that's a very, very unhealthy way uh, to treat your people. And you and I talked about this the other day. It comes down to what do you want your troops to do? Do you want them to be compliant or do you want them to be committed? And I think, you know, if you got someone that's committed to your mission, like, hey, I've had supervisors where I will go to battle for them every single day. Whatever they want me to do, I will do because they treat me like a person. They respect me and I respect them back, obviously. It's one thing to respect the position, but to respect the person is a totally different ball game. And I feel like when you get both of them, your squad, uh, your officers, whoever, uh, it's just going to benefit that much more. And I'm sure you would agree with that. Absolutely. You know, you, and you and you hit it where you talked about, you know, there are certain supervisors that I've worked with to where he or she could have asked me to do anything, uh, you know, as long as it's legal, moral, moral, morally acceptable and all that stuff. And I would have done it. Oh, I, I'm on my fifth day straight and this is my sixth day off and or my sixth day and I'm going to go on days off. But that supervisor calls me, and says, hey, I'm really in a bind. Can you help me out? I don't know how many times I've said to certain people, you know what, because you're asking, I'm going to come in. And the first time I heard that from one of my guys when my back was against the wall because we had some folks calling sick and when COVID kind of started getting going, we had a couple scares to where we thought some officers had tested positive and a lot of them were for my team. So I was really short and I started calling, make, making phone calls. And I, I'm not kidding. Out of everyone I called, over half of them says, you know what, because you're asking, I'm going to come in. And that really like, wow, I'm, you know, either I'm doing something really right or I'm doing something really wrong to where all these guys think I'm a pushover or something. But uh, it just comes down to treating your people with respect. How how did I wish I was treated when, when I was an officer? And again, I had some phenomenal sergeants who just really helped guide me uh, to the person I am today. One of them I still work with to this day. Um, he's, he's, um, one of my fellow sergeants now, but he was my sergeant back in the day. And he, he was the type who would give me his shirt off his back. And I just, again, when I made a mistake, I owned up to my mistake and he held me accountable for my mistakes, but he did it in a way to where it's like, Hey, look, man, you know, I, I want to set you on the right path. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, be a dick about it, but I I've got to, you know, we got to hold you accountable so you can realize that you don't want to do this again. And, you know, no one likes to get disciplined. Anyone who says that, you know, well, I'm I'm great with taking discipline. I mean, there are some folks out there, but even the discipline I've earned, I'm kind of like, oh man, I do I really have to get this? But sometimes holding people accountable for the small things will help help them avoid the pitfalls of the big things. Mm-hmm. And it's the big things that you can't come back from. And you know, we're we're seeing that. We've seen it. You know, I, I know I've seen it in my career too. It's like, man, where did 
you know, this officer from LAPD, Rafael Perez, how did he go so wrong, you know, to where now he's planting drugs on people and, you know, committing crimes? I mean, what, what happened? And if I can make sure that my guys stay on the straight and narrow by providing them all the proper training guys, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. The last thing I want to do is see someone lose their career because they do something stupid that they know they shouldn't do that could have been completely avoided had someone maybe just threw their arm around this guy and said, dude, you are going, you're, it's a slippery slope you're going down and we need to catch you before you go down that point of no return. And again, that is the definitely the minority. Most officers suit up and do the right thing every day. But I think everyone would agree that, um, you know, one bad apple is one too many. So um, I, I just try to do my best as that frontline supervisor to uh, not only protect the agency, but, protect my officers because like i tell my guys like you we are the, we make up this department so when someone says as a supervisor i'm here to protect the department i'm here to protect you we make up the department so uh, me helping you stay on that straight and narrow is going to help our agency as a whole flourish because when one of us makes some mistakes it makes all of us look bad everything that's happening across the country uh it, it reflects poorly on on all of us so yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I said this when the George Floyd thing first broke. I said, no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, we'll, we'll we keep everybody in check. I don't care what the media wants to say that, you know, we're, we're hiding behind the thin blue line. No, if there's a bad apple, we pick it out very, very quickly. And, you know, you said a couple other really good points, too. Um, I had a supervisor quite frequently because he knew I was dependable. He would always ask me, hey, can you throw together an op plan so we can do something tonight? Whatever. Hey, can you uh, go run radar on this spot? We're getting complaints. And even if I was about to check out for lunch or go to the gym for my hour or lunch break or whatever it might be, because it was him, I'd say, you know what? Yeah, no problem. And I'd drive all the way back to wherever I need to do it and go. Because, But there's a give and take. You know, If I would do that, he'd let me cut out a little early and so on and so forth. There's a respect. There's an understanding. It's great. And uh, you're definitely giving a good uh, insight into that aspect of law enforcement. And I really appreciate that. So that's going to kind of wrap up the main questions and uh, answers that I was looking for today. Absolutely great. Um, You've been following my page since almost day one, I think. And uh, you and your wife have been constant sources of feedback, interaction, and support. And I just want to let you guys know that I truly appreciate it. Uh, and I respect you as a cop and as a person. So again, thank you very much for that. Um, from there, we're going to go to the final part of our interview today. It's going to be a very rapid fire question and answer session. I call it signal three over here. That is the code for a hit and run. So super quick, super easy. Don't think about it too much. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Ready to go. All right, here we go. Signal three. What is your proudest moment in law enforcement? So for me, it was actually the police academy graduation, realizing how hard it was to get hired and uh, <laughs> spraining my ankle pretty much halfway through the academy. But but knowing that if I had to say if I said something about it, I'd probably have to rotate out and get recycled again. So I just taped it up every day and. That, that was just such a challenge for me and realizing that I was able to complete uh, my goal of the police academy after so many that I went to the academy with didn't complete it. I mean, for me, it was just a lot of sacrifices that um, my wife and I uh, had to go through. Um, it, it just 
to have that ha- have her pin my badge on me, it was just that was absolutely the most proudest moment for me was just entering this 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 very noble profession that I still hold very near and dear to my heart. That that absolutely was the most proudest and still is the most proudest moment of, of my life. Just becoming that brand new officer, just ready to make the little changes I can in my little corner of the world. That's awesome. That's, that's a great uh, mindset to have. What is your dream vacation destination? So uh, every year we do, we try to do something a little different, but uh, we uh, have been talking about the Maldives. Uh, We went to Turks and Caicos the year before last. Our plan for this year was to try to hit the Maldives, but because of COVID, uh, that kind of got screwed. So yeah, that is absolutely a dream for both my wife and I, we are definitely beach chasers. Uh, we, for the first couple of years of our marriage every year, went back to Maui every year, same spot, same hotel, even though we swore we were going to try to expand our horizons. <laughs> we never did, but we, uh, have started to do that. And yeah, Turks and Caicos was beautiful. So Maldives, just from what I've seen online, haven't even spoken to anyone who's personally gone there. Just from what we've seen online, just seems really, really beautiful. So that's top of our bucket list. That's awesome. Actually, I had an interview the other day, and they said the exact same thing to that question. So that's pretty funny. Um, what is your favorite movie? Oh man, we are we are total total movie buffs, but <laughs> honestly, a movie that we can watch over and over and over again is uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. I don't know what it is. Anything with the uh, <laughs> with that whole cast is just we maybe because we're big Family Guy fans. I don't know, but yeah, we I could probably say that's the one movie we watched over and over again more than any other movie. That's awesome. Uh, what is your go-to day off drink? Um, I am a um, Malibu rum and pineapple uh, drinker. I know it's foo-foo, but uh, I, I've never been a big uh, like old-fashioned or any of that you know really dark stuff. Uh, I am a more of a rum fruity type guy <laughs> as far as drinks go. So yeah, Malibu rum and pineapple juice all day, every day if I can. Well, there you go. Lamont Quarker, a classy broad. I like it. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite on-duty hangout? Uh, so uh, we, like most uh, cities, have our chain of uh, 7-Elevens. So we have one 7-Eleven that is right down the street from our station. And that is kind of like our my, my go-to place where if I need to just get out of the office for a little bit, to, instead of having one of the officers come all the way back to the station, I'll just have them hook up with me down at uh, 7-Eleven to do whatever business we can. And the owners are just super nice. They, they love having us there. Um, I saw something on, uh, on one of the pages today where they're talking about uh, 7-Eleven coffee. And some folks were saying how terrible it is and i I completely disagree i think it's some of the best coffee that's out there but uh definitely 7-eleven is my go-to hangout spot that's funny that conversation was me and uh red red gun squad that's pretty funny um it's not that bad it depends on who's making it and how long it's been there very true yeah Um, you can you can get a batch that you can tell has been sitting out a little bit too long but for the most part again this particular 7-eleven man they seem to always have really fresh coffee uh, if you go in and it's running low, it's like it's like they know, especially when you're working graveyard, that they just continuously have a fresh pot uh, going. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty good. 
Yeah. I mean, and, you know, special thanks to the convenience store clerks that when they see, you know, the police car pull in at two o'clock in the morning, they're like, oh, nope, just made a fresh spot for you. Hold on one second. It's happened and it's it's appreciated. Uh, what's your favorite cop movie? Um, honestly, Street Kings. That right now, it was it's, it's a toss-up between that and Training Day, maybe because Training Day is on Netflix right now. But uh, I've my wife and I are big uh, Keanu Reeves fans from, you know, going back to the movie Constantine and some other movies he did. But um, something about Street Kings, I really, really like uh, just that. I've always been just kind of fascinated with those units that are, um, you know, plain clothes. They kind of go out and, and do some of the high-profile stuff. Um, so that movie's kind of centered around a unit like that. And I, I just, again, just really been fascinated with that, with that side of that side of law enforcement. Right. Right. I didn't know training day was on Netflix. I'm going to have to check that out later. It is. It is on there. Perfect. All right. Um, middle of the night working graveyards. Got to stay up. Are you choosing energy drinks, coffee or something else? Uh, energy drinks. Uh, my wife is going to kill me for saying that because I promised her I was going to come off of them. But um, I'm fortunate right now because I'm working day watch. But next month I'm going back to night watch. So I'm unfortunately uh, probably around midnight ish is usually when I start to drag a little bit. So I'm a Red Bull guy. Uh, I just I stay classic. All these other guys are all into bangs and rain and all these other things that make me feel like I've taken a hit of methamphetamine. But Red Bull is my go-to drink um, to try and just give me that, just push me through those last few hours of, of graveyard. Yep. And uh, Red Bull for me is actually still the one that kind of can give me that push. The bang and the rain is probably not good for my heart or my liver, but it doesn't really do it for me. So I'm kind of with you on the Red Bull. If I need something, especially after a long week, yeah, I'm going Red Bull also. So I'm with you there. All right. So let's say bottom of the ninth, big game walking out on a UFC fight, whatever, big moment. What is your walk-on song? Oh, man. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a, I'm a huge, like, just like reggae fan. So it would probably be uh, something by Stick Figure, even though it's probably like the, not the best song as far as trying to get you hyped up. But for me, I operate immensely better under pressure when I'm calm, cool, and collected. You know, a lot of people when like they're in the gym, they got to get hyped. They've got some heavy metal or something going. I'm like the opposite, you know, even back when we had this, the race here on the West coast Baker to Vegas, where it's a like relay race for law enforcement. You know, I never was really listening to anything with like high tempo or anything like that. I just needed something nice and calm, just kind of calm my nerves a little bit. And that's for me personally, when I, uh, you know, pre- perform at my best. So, it would be like a stick figure sound of the sea or something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I go with the same kind of music on like my day off. So I'm, I'm one of those guys that's got to be loud if it's going to get me motivated. But uh, you know, I listen to very similar music on my day off and you shared a stick figure song. And since then I've been hooked. So I got to thank you for that. Very cool. All right. Next question. Uh, favorite police unit you've been a part of. Um, you know, it would be, have to be SWAT. Um, I, uh, got on SWAT back in 2006. Uh, me and my, uh, best friend at the time, officer Sergio Carrera, we started, uh, within a day of each other. He went to another academy where we got sworn in within a day of each other. And we, uh, ended up just kind of clicking <laughs> once we, uh, once we got together and started working. Um, 
and that was one thing that we both wanted to do was get on slot. So um, about four years into our career, we were both able to try out and we both got on. And that was probably the second most proudest I've ever been in my career was being able to be a part of that unit and, uh, you know, being able to serve with him. Unfortunately, uh, in 2007, he was killed during a SWAT operation. Um, but, you know, as, as much as it, it, it killed me to um, remain on the SWAT team and, and continue doing the work, uh, I felt like, you know, I, I, I owe it to my friend because I remember how how just how hard it was for us to get on the team, how much we wanted to do that. So I felt like, I, you know, to carry on for the both of us that I was going to stay on as long as I could to, um, you know, again, just carry on his legacy. And I was able to do that up, up until I promoted to sergeant um, and I came off the team because um, our team leaders are sergeants. And there was no team leader position available. So I came off the team. Uh, so I did like a total of 11 years. And that absolutely was the best unit I feel I've, I've ever been a part of because you really – you're really going after the worst of the worst, those who are victimizing your community who um, really need to be brought to justice. So every time we were going out and doing that type of work, I just really felt um, I, I just felt fulfilled every day. Every time I w was able to go out and do that, I just truly felt fulfilled and great, great, great memories uh, being a part of that unit. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, sorry to hear about your buddy. Yes. Thank you. He's a, Great, great guy, uh, father and husband. So definitely a, a personal loss for us, uh, me and my wife personally. He was uh, he was killed in October of 2007, and we were scheduled to get married in December of 2007. He was going to be my best man. So it just it's a really you know really 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 terrible situation. Absolutely. All right. Um, what was your childhood dream job? You know, I honestly it was. Uh, it was, I went flying with my uncle, uh, at like 16 years old. He was getting his pilot's license out of Compton airport and I went flying with him and I told myself, man, I, I think I want to be a pilot. And we ended up taking a, a, a short plane trip when I was probably like 16, 17, my first time on a plane, uh, to Arkansas. And I was able to, this was back, you know, predate pre nine 11, where sometimes the pilots would actually leave the, the, the cockpit door open and I remember just kind of sitting up front and watching them do their thing. I was just like, man, I, I think this is what I think I want to do. I want to be a pilot. But, you know, this wasn't in the cards. But that if I could do anything else, that would be absolutely what I w would want to do is be a pilot. Very cool. Very cool. So this one might tie into that then. If you weren't a cop, what would you be doing? Yeah, that, that's it. I would I would definitely try to try to get my pilot's license and become uh, like a commercial uh, commercial airline pilot because I just again just something about that whole world of aviation just really uh, fascinates me and I, and I I just think it's a something different, something cool. I, I would absolutely love to do that. Awesome. Who is your favorite Looney Tune? Who is my favorite Looney Tune? Yep. Okay, uh, I would have to say Bugs, man. He uh, he is the guy who, because um, he's a Looney Tune, right? Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Yeah, he's a Looney yeah, Tune. So, uh, yeah, Bugs Bunny. Yeah, Bugs Bunny for sure. He's uh, he's got that kind of charismatic swag going on to where you know he doesn't let a whole lot get under his skin, and you know he's got Mrs. Bugs Bunny on his on his arm half the time. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd have to go with Bugs for sure. It's like a kind of like take no nonsense type of guy. Absolutely. I like it. Uh, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you. 
Um, for me, it is treat everyone the way you would want you or someone in your family in the same situation to be treated. So be it if for whatever reason, God forbid, one of my family members was in a situation to where they're being arrested, I would still want my mom, dad, wife, cousin, sister, whatever, to be treated with dignity and respect. So um, that I, I've, I've kind of carried that as my mantra that no matter what situation a person is in, no matter what they've done, I try to treat them with the same respect I would want me or my family member to be treated in a similar set of circumstances. Awesome. If given a do-over, what is something in your life that you would do differently? Oh my gosh. So I would do a lot better in high school so I could get, so I could have gotten some scholarships. So I wouldn't have so many student loans. Um, I think for me, um, I have a issue with procrastination to where I wait until the last minute to get things done. Um, be it uh, a report that I know I got to get in or an evaluation. I wait until I'm like under the gun to get it done. And it's something I still struggle with today. Um, so I think that goes back to, um, you know, my time in high school to where uh, I wasn't the best student. Uh, I didn't have like the, the discipline that some of my other classmates had. So I think if I could change anything, I would go back and, just try to be a lot more disciplined men because, you know, it starts then these lifelong habits that we have. And I was a procrastinator then. And here I am, 38 years old, still procrastinating. So I would definitely try to take notes from some of the smarter kids in my class who took stuff seriously and didn't procrastinate uh, because, again, it's lifelong habits that we develop early on that I'm still struggling with today. Awesome. Uh, what is your favorite late night snack? Uh, we, so uh, I don't know if you guys have it on the East Coast, but we have uh, Krispy Kreme uh, here on the West Coast. And uh, if like earlier today, uh, I went and bought a box as kind of like a peace offering to my wife because I told her, oh, just lay in the bed and relax. I'm going to get the kids to school on time today. Don't worry. And of course, the kids were late. So I already knew my wife was going to be uh, pretty pissed off about that. So I went and picked up a box of Krispy Kreme to kind of fend her off a little bit. But um, we usually have a box here in the house. So uh, many times in the middle of the night, I'll get in here or I'll hear my wife get up and get a donut. And that's kind of like our little our thing. If we're sitting up in the middle of the night, can't sleep, watching TV, we'll have a, a Coke and a Krispy Kreme donut in her hand. Plain glaze, nothing else, just plain glaze from Krispy Kreme. Awesome. And, and it's better when it's with from the uh, hot and ready sign. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason, at least at our local uh, Krispy Kreme, on when that light's going to be on. So it's kind of like a, a gamble. And it's like it's, I feel like I win the lottery every time we drive by. And say, <laughs> oh, the light's on. We got to hit it now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, today, the light was not on. It's like kinda like a like a little disappointment, you know, that inner disappointing voice like, oh. But uh, yeah, when that light is on, man, it's just like my my. It's like it lights up my day. Like that's what I'm talking about. Yep, absolutely. In uh, in our city, whenever the lights on, and it's right in the middle of the city, typically a uh, department wide computer message will go through the computer, tell them that the lights on, and everyone usually heads that way. Nice. All right, man. Last one. If you were stuck in a foxhole, who would you want to be trapped with to help get you out? 
Oh man. Uh, well, I talked about uh, I talked about our uh, <laughs> our admiration of, of of John Wick. So if I if I could go with a fictional character, it would absolutely be uh, John Wick because that dude seems like to get himself out of every situation that you throw at him. So if I could, you know, phone a friend, I would be phoning my friend John Wick to help get me out of that situation, whatever it may be. Awesome. And that concludes Signal 3. And it concludes my interview with Mr. Lamont Quarker. Thank you very much, Lamont. I appreciate it. Um, do you have any Instagram or social media that you want to pr- uh, promote to yourself or to the to the audience? Or are you kind of keeping that all private? Uh, yeah, most, most of my Instagram is, is, is private. I, I do would like to encourage anyone to go check out our department's Instagram, though, at Rialto Police. Uh, on Instagram, that's Rialto, R-I-A-L-T-O, uh, police. We, uh, again, our virtual ride along that we spoke about earlier is on there. A whole lot of content for any, uh, folks looking to get into law enforcement or folks maybe to look into lateral somewhere a little different. Maybe someone from the East Coast, someone from the West Coast. Uh, lots of information on there about our department just kind of, uh, highlights, uh, some of the things we do, uh, some of the things that we can offer. So I, I would really like to encourage folks to, to, to go check us out if, if you're interested. All right. Well, there you have it. Check out the Rialto Police Department Instagram. Once again, Sergeant Lamont Quarker. Thanks a lot for talking to me for a little bit. And uh, that's it. Thank you for having me on, man. Appreciate it. that concludes my interview with Lamont Quarker and concludes the show for the day. This one went kind of lo- a little longer than usual uh, than some of the others that are going to be coming up. But, you know, when you're having a quality conversation with a quality person, you can't just cut it down. So I gave you the entire conversation and hopefully you got some benefit from it. Once again, go ahead and check out the Rialto Police Department Instagram for their virtual ride-alongs and other community outreach ideas. The Instagram handle is at Rialto Police. All spelt out. Pretty easy. Uh, even if you don't live anywhere near to Rialto, like I don't, 3,000 miles away, uh, it may be something to inspire you or your department to try out. And really quick tonight, before we log out, I want to do a quick code for a check and make sure everyone is doing good. Listen, it's okay if you're not, and I'd like to take a second and tell everyone about the Save Blue Project. The Save Blue Project is dedicated to making it easier for first responders to break the ice and start the conversations they need to have when they need someone to talk to, especially if they're dealing with suicidal thoughts, PTSD, or depression. All you have to do is say blue. For more information, you can go to the Instagram, which is at Project, or visit their website, which is sayblue.org. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. I hope you were both entertained and got a little insight. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, subscribe, which is the 10-8 podcast, so you can find out the moment we release new episodes. The music today was I Fought the Law by Mass Intruder, Laugh Till I Cry by The Front Bottoms, Sound of the Sea by
by Stick Figure, and Blue in the Dark by Bearings. If you don't already, please check out the 108 Instagram page, which is at 108 underscore memes, and check out the unapologetically pro-police content I put out all the time, which includes memes, merchandise, and more. Check us out next week where we will learn a little bit about Stoic philosophy with none other than the Stoic Cop. But until then, stay safe and take care of each other. 10-8, out. Trying to find